I did another BBC Radio Scotland segment. Oh, I, mean, I didn't. I didn't catch anything. Did he not tweet it this time? Uh, no, because because it was meant to happen at, at half past six on Wednesday morning. Oh yeah. Tuesday afternoon, I got a call from a researcher to be like, "Hey." Coinbase, blah, 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 is doing something on its stock exchange. I was like, yep, yep, yes, it is. They're like, hey, do you want to talk about it on the radio tomorrow? I said, yep, of course. <laughs> so, of course, it's one of those ones when someone says, do you want to speak on the radio? Yeah. Of course, the answer is yes. Sure thing. And then after afterwards, you find out, oh, that's what they were talking about. Oh, I see. Ah. Okay. So then... Went back home and looked it up, and lo and behold, indeed, this is actually quite a big story in the world of money. Mm-hmm. And so I set my alarms 25 past six yeah. on Wednesday morning, horrendous, only to get a call at 6.21 from this like bright and early producer being like, sorry, Colin, we're too busy. We're going to call you back tomorrow. Oh, no. It's like, I just go, oh, yep, oh, fine. Okay. Fine. All right. It's fine. Okay. But- then I did actually get to do it on Thursday at half past 11, which was much nicer. Oh, but much better, yeah. I tell you, there's there's some advice we give people on media training and presentation skills courses, which is you can never be too enthusiastic. Right. But my goodness, I listen back to when I was introduced on the program, uh-huh. and I basically ordered the host to have a good morning. She was like... Uh, and speaking to us now is a cryptocurrency analyst and expert, Colin Stone. Good morning. Good morning, Kay. Good morning. Honestly, I listened back and thought, come on, this isn't the pantomime. <laughs> well, yeah, but you're just trying to cover up for the anxiety of, of not being either of those things. <laughs> but uh, no, other than that, it was fine. It was good. And so I am in the door at anti beep you know they can they can drown you with prince philip coverage but they can't get rid of me <laughs> really you've really managed to find your as we discussed previously you found a niche and that niche is a facade <laughs> this, this is not true you know a good amount about it so it's fine you can you can you can get your way through any interview i was talking about the turkish lira i was talking about the stock market man i was i was sounding like i knew what i was talking about and that's perception's the only reality so i'm fine with that well yeah because you did some research I did. and you read into it and therefore and you know how to present things that you've learned and that is really what you were asked to do. Is that a good rule for, for taking on work? You know, say yes and then figure out how you're going to do it afterwards? Probably say yes if you know you can figure out how to do it afterwards. Okay. okay. Or at least it's it's you're leaning towards yes, I can do it, right? If, if it's a 50-50, <laughs> then just like see how you feel on that day. If you're feeling like you want to be challenged, yeah. If it's if you've got a 10% chance of, of achieving it, no, 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 no. You back off. You just stay where you are. Um, but no, you, you've you've talked about cryptos for for long enough that you could you could get your way through any interview, I would guess. Yeah, with, with a a con you know a certain amount of conviction. Yeah, or at least sounding like I knew what I was talking about, and that's the main thing. Yeah, and probably probably sounding that like you support the whole industry a little bit more than you than you really do. Well, no, I do support the industry. Like the guy who was in the segment with me is a guy in Falkirk, who who runs a deli and now accepts cryptocurrency as payment yeah absolutely that's valid it's like that is a good thing to do and even he said himself he's like i might get one payment a year but it's a start and honestly he's right yes i said look if, if you get yeah. uh, enough payments over the course of the year that give you 
0.05 of a Bitcoin, come back to the next year, and it may well have doubled in value, at, at which point exactly, you'll have an yeah. extra 500 quid in your bank. So absolutely, go wild. Yeah, it's a, it's a solid business move, for sure. So, so shall we start our Patreon and only accept oh, cryptocurrency payments. Crypto. I don't know. I don't I don't want to get involved in, in crypto until it doesn't burn the world down. Uh, I mean um, that's another myself. issue. I was waiting for for that question to come along. Be like, so how on earth can you support crypto when it's using up more electricity than the Netherlands in the space of a year? Yeah, exactly. Like, well, that's that's one for the for the smarter people than me to figure out. I guess the clapback is just like asking, well, have we calculated how much of the global uh, electricity infrastructure goes towards like keeping the internet alive because I'm pretty sure that's probably a country's worth of stuff as well because you know yeah uh, the, the thing is though if if it, if the water battery tactic is is you know well, what about this or what about this then you're not going to get anywhere when when really the solution is yes mining for bitcoin does use a ridiculous amount of electricity but let's see if we can find perhaps ah. a greener method of doing it like for example there's a couple of places in china yes. where the electricity is cheaper they're still using a lot of it but it's coming from from tidal power oh no, yeah they, they, they do renewal renewal mining yeah i've seen that it's it's actually it's unsurprisingly yeah, it, good you're still still using a lot of electricity but it's not burning coal I do like your yes and um, methods of communicating. They're respectable. <laughs> I'm too negative for that kind of a, a conversation. Oh, man. Okay, well, how was your week? What's been happening? What's the highlights? Oh, uh, I probably don't have any. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> no, um, as I, 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 last weekend, I went outside for a bit. Nice. I went for a walk with a pal. You know, I actually engaged with person-to-person conversation. Great. And... My my no sunburn streak came to an end. Oh! I got a mild sunburn on my t-shirt line because I forgot that more than faces exist. Well, you should really be wearing sun cream. I, I didn't forget sun cream, but I did apply it in a hurry and I forgot to do my, my neck area. I, I am a, a firm... I used to be one of those people who would just go and be like, go on, sun, burn me. Do your Give best, me that burn. <laughs> Actually, that is, that is a terrible, terrible idea. It is. So I'm all for the sun cream right now. Absolutely, yeah. So I had I, I had some, even though I've, I've barely had a, a reason to have any. I did have some sitting about, and I was prepared. I didn't get any sunburn on my face. I got just a mild one, but it means that my streak of... A year and a bit has come to an end. Okay, well, uh, it's got to end. All good things must come to an end. But not this show. Seesaw Parade continues on. Never ending. This never ending show. Hello, the year 3000. (laughs) How's Busted doing? Oh, I'm sure they're great. Okay, well, welcome to Seesaw Parade, episode 246. I am Colin and he is James. Yes, indeed. We do have uh, a lot to cover on this uh, the next hour or so. Thank you very much for being here. Wait, are we? Since you're giving me my internet name these days, should you not use like your one? Should, should you not be like Cone or like Clach? I mean, there's there's a, there's a lot of options for me. Really, you could go for yeah, as you say, Callan, which is a kind of Gaelic pseudonym. Yeah. Despite the fact that everybody who follows me knows who I am. Uh-huh. Or you could go for some uh, family nicknames like Cosdingle or Cocksock. Right, yeah, I think those probably wouldn't work so well. I, I feel like Cone is the best shape. I feel just Cone. My dad does not like that latter nickname, uh, as no. you may be able to tell. No, that one would uh, upset anybody of certain persuasions. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> but welcome to the show. This is Scotland's 
longest running entertainment news podcast of any kind, yep. your new favourite podcast, less popular than fascism, <laughs> yes. we're here to stay. And so is fascism, which is less good, I hope. Yeah, there's no vaccine for either. Thank you all for uh, for getting in touch. Actually, I think the vaccine for both is just a decent education. <laughs> Indeed. Thank you all very much for listening and, and for getting in touch. We actually created something of a, a mild Twitter storm. James, did you see this? What? About four days ago. No. Okay, so we tweeted out after last week's women versus women right. discussion. Yes. A, a short clip from the show where we, we, we dive into this. Right. And uh, Elspeth decided to respond and tag about half a dozen people oh, no. in a tweet to ask them, is it a Highland thing to pronounce women and women the same? And that I needed to know. Right. And, and what then what then proceeded to happen was uh, we had Isla, we had Morna, we had Lauren all agreeing with me, which was lovely. So, haha, to everybody who says women, because clearly... Due to people on Twitter, you are wrong. So that's the end of the argument. I don't remember saying that it wasn't a Highland thing. Did I say that? Well, no. So, so no. You. So your suggestion was that it was perhaps a Central Belt pronunciation to get the women and women or women. <laughs> You're from really far, you know, Weems Bay kind of West Coast, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and the women and women pronunciations may be more of a Highland thing. Yeah. You agree with that? That's, that sounds like what I said. <laughs> okay, great. Well, there we go. Yeah. Since operator agrees on something. We, we, yeah, I, 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 can, I can go for that. It was just, I, I genuinely thought about it for, for so long afterwards, I forgot what the original points that we made were. And it still, it still confuses me. And I'm trying to figure out if it is just a very specific part of Scotland-ism or if there are other places in the world that pronounce them the same. Right. Well, something I learned this week as well, just by practicing my accents, was that oil and owl are the same words if you're Northern Irish. Yeah, absolutely. There's a few of those. Um, but definitely not if you're from the South uh, in the States. Okay, well, if you would like to get involved in any completely irrelevant part of this podcast, you can do at Operate on Twitter, or you can email us, ceaseoperate at gmail.com. Also, Annie had got in touch to say that, Colin, in addition to reviewing WrestleMania, please also discuss Megalobox on the next episodes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's about as close as I get to, to, to WrestleMania. Okay, well, we'll get to that. That will be coming up later in the show. But, James, let's crack on. Let's start with... COVID restriction relaxation. Can't believe it. Which kicks in today. I actually can believe it. Right, James, uh, this is the news that today in Scotland, new rules have come into force between council areas, meaning that if you live this side of the world, this part of the country, (laughs) you can go wherever you like. I hope they were more clear than that summary. (laughs) Okay, yeah, I agree with that. It's fine. It's Friday. I'm tired. (laughs) Yeah, no, so we're allowed to visit different council areas so long as we do not stay overnight. Correct, yeah. So the Scottish government actually announced this on Tuesday. Yes. This was meant to come into force 
on the 26th. End of the month. But instead, they they jumped the gun a couple of weeks early to say that actually the changes were designed to help reunite families and friends, meaning it is now possible to travel out of your local area for non-essential reasons, and that six people from six households can now meet outdoors. Magic. For, For those who have been dearly missing gathering outdoors in areas out with their own council um, zone. Your time has come. Go shine somewhere far away from your home and then come back before nighttime. Right. And don't camp at a tent. So, well, so that actually leads on to my, my main question, which is that the rules still in place mean yeah. that you can't stay overnight yeah. outside your council area, even if it's in a tent Indeed. or a caravan or a, a VW transporter. Mm-hmm. Other methods of transport are available. Yes. But let's say people are going home to, like I saw today, Fort William... To see family members, which is from Glasgow, mm-hmm. yeah, three-hour drive or so. Do you expect people will actually be saying, oh, you know what, I know it's been four, five, six months since I've seen you guys, but I must return home. Off I go, back back home. No, no. People are going to stay overnight here and there, as they probably already have been. Yeah. People are now going to be gathering outside and be allowed to, as they already have been. I think we've had some pretty good sunny days here in Scotland for a while. And those... Sunny now. It's sunny right now. And those days bring people out. And now they're just allowed to. So I guess the the measure is both in response to that. That's all stuff already happening to remove a bit of the stress of people who are doing it, to allow more people to do it. Um, and also because... The cases, the case rate has been still going down, even with the mild relaxations. Uh We are trending downwards over the past two weeks. Um, Again, we're still just doing everything a little bit ahead of schedule, which always makes me nervous. I'm still not going to be going outside and hanging out with six families from six different homes uh, in a garden in a different council area to mine. But if you feel comfortable to then... Hey, you can now. That's fine. I think part of this, James, is that the government realised because I'll be honest, a ten-day head start ahead of, oh, you know, we we need to we need to get people's mental health picked up. You know, that reason for the sake of ten days doesn't really wash with me. You know, if yeah. it was a month early, fair enough. But ten days is is nothing. Yeah, yeah. So at this point, yeah. So I'm just not really buying that reason. To me, it was a case of okay, we've seen, for example, that in England, which we'll cover now, England this oh, week. Wow, yeah. Essentially, everything's opened back up, so you can uh, go to any uh, retail shops. Uh, centers have opened up again. You can have a drink outside. So all these things, restaurants, cafes, everything is back up and running in England. And what I believe has happened is that Sturgeon and Cole have seen the fact that, okay, if England are doing this, yeah, and their numbers are, in some areas, still worse than Scotland's, mm-hmm. then what are we waiting for? And part of it will be as well, folk are already doing this. You know, they're traveling out with their area or they're going for a walk with someone in Renfrewshire or East Lothian. <gasps> and and so having these rules in place or rather relaxations in place means that people can now do it without the, the feeling of, oh, no, we're breaking the rules. We're in Troon. <laughs> I feel like being in Troon kind of breaks a rule or two anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What's Troon ever done to you? I don't know. I just, they were easy pickings that one time. 
Um, oh, you're right, no, you're a right, terrible you're right. sounding name. Sorry, sorry, sorry. This is this is an important point. Troon. Like, who came up with that name and thought, you know what, this place sounds great. Troon. I wonder what the original word was. All of the strange sounding places is always just not the original word from whatever language or whatever sound it originally meant. Okay, go back to the point you were making. I'm sure it was more important and funnier. I believe you're, I believe you're right in that the mental health thing is a bit of a, a badge that they're putting on the whole package of reasons for why they're... Uh, advancing their unlockdowning by 10 days and it probably is in a big part as a response to England doing it and everybody being happy about that and businesses especially being very happy about that and probably complaining um, which all ties into the fact that we've still got the election coming up postal votes are already out um, people are already voting and the, the people vote for the tiniest reasons if the SNP were deemed to be reopening too slowly it might lose them some votes so uh, they're being extra cautious to not let people feel like they're being hard done by uh, in some good weather uh, while England's like leading the way and slightly in some slight recklessness. But hey, if you're leading the government and you want to win an election, you've got to you got to keep the people happy. Yeah, so I actually did get a couple of leaflets through the door this week. One from the SNP and uh, another from Labour. Right. SNP saying they're going to they're going to scrap all NHS dentistry charges. Oh, which I thought was in. An interesting point to lead with with their leaflet. Perhaps they're targeting this area of Glasgow. Maybe they've got bad teeth. Oh, I, I like that. I like that. It makes no sense to me that teeth is just a different field for some reason. <laughs> but uh, that's beside the point. The next set of uh, dates, you know, data, not dates, as Boris has said, but the next dates are indeed April 26th. <laughs> next dates, not data. That's the one. It is the 26th of April where we will get to what England has been enjoying this week. James, did you see the image on, uh, I want to say, Good Morning Britain at 8.17 on Monday morning with maybe four women having multiple pints? I thought, wow, that is a level of bravery to have a pint a quarter past eight in the morning. Still, like you're not even flying anywhere. It's excitement. It's an eagerness for normality. Drinking at that time of day. Maybe they're just coming off the night shift at work. You know, maybe that's maybe there were four nurses who just finished a really bad shift and they were finally free to go and have a that drink together. And there's a lot of reasons for people to be drinking at different times of day. There's a lot of reasons for people in England to be uh, gathering in vast numbers like they're now allowed to. But it did look like a bunch of people who are in the age ranges that haven't been vaccinated yet, gathering in pretty close quarters. Uh, so it made me very nervous, I'll be honest, because I, I don't think there's there's a high percentage of young folks below age of like 50 who are vaccinated anywhere in the UK. Yeah, okay. Well, so so it is a nervous time. Yeah, so ju- just to get uh, to keep you up to date with the very latest figures, this is uh, relevant as of an hour ago. Oh. Around 130,000 people in the UK were estimated to have had COVID in uh, the past seven days, which is down about 55,000 from the week before that. Right. And it's around about one in 500 people Ooh. have COVID. Uh, the reproduction number, the R rate in England is between 0.7 and 1, meaning every 10 people with COVID will infect either 7 or between 7 and 10 people with it. Yeah. Which is still, I, I believe for the pandemic to end, it has to be consistently below 1. Yes. Yes. So if it's between 0.7 and 1, uh, it's not still not quite there a yet. Pretty gentle decrease, yeah. It's not a comfortable decrease. Right. F- further to that, the World Health Organization have uh, put out a statement to s- today to reiterate the fact that COVID cases around the world are continuing to increase yes. at a 
worrying rate. And the German Indeed. Chancellor... Not everybody's got the vaccines that we do. Indeed, the German Chancellor, Angela Merkel, has said the third wave in Germany uh, has the country firmly in its grip and the situation is very serious. So just mm-hmm. before we move on to, to something different, my main issue, and I believe this has been reiterated by a number of experts, is that I am okay with the current relaxations because outside is the safest place you can be in terms of absolutely passing on or, or staying away, I should say, from the virus. But when international travel resumes, that's when things will likely get worse because right. that's when new variants are coming into the country. And that is what I've been hearing consistently, which is we've got to make sure we do this in the proper way at the right time and not just let everyone fly willy-nilly, yeah. let everyone in without any sort of uh, regimen in place. And I know they've got these pre-departure and comeback tests. And you've got to quarantine for 10 days. But the reality is uh, some people will not be able to do that. Some people will not be able to quarantine for 10 days in a hotel after they come back from wherever they've gone. So it's too early to say for me if things are are really turning a corner, but for the next couple of weeks... <laughs> no, we're, we're plateauing. Right. For the next couple of weeks, though, in Scotland, considering that international travel is not resuming until at least late May... Right. The next couple of weeks is fine, I think. There's a, there's a wee bit of comfort. Abide by the rules still. Keep the distance, if anything, because like, the more... The more people you're gathering from different homes and different areas, the more risk there is, even if you're outdoors, even if you've got a slight distance between you, especially if you aren't wearing your masks. Um, I think there's the extra fear in some circles, not just with the, the travel and the variants maybe causing uh, instances of, of uh, coronavirus is a bit more vaccine resistant, but now the news that some of the vaccines are telling us that we might need a third dose before a year's out. Right. I think it was Pfizer saying that their vaccine, or their, they might be recommending that people get a third dose within 12 months. Um, so there's, like, it sounds like we're going to be plateauing for a very, very long time uh, globally, which, you know, for some people will be awful and they just want to drink their, their beers outside uh, freely all year round and they want to travel and they want to gather. And then for some people like me, we can keep tolerating it. And I think that's a fine balance. I think those of us who desperately need to be gathering and doing things and seeing people actively do it do it safely. And then some of the rest of us will just stay indoors and keep carrying the country to safety. That's me taking credit for the recovery, 100%. It's all absolutely thanks to me, not thanks to capitalism and greed, thanks to Jim. Okay, three COVID stories uh, related to this I want to talk about. The first one, James, is Prince Philip's funeral, which is taking oh. place on Saturday. Yeah. There will only be, of course, 30 people in attendance. Yeah. Uh we, I only want to briefly talk about this because we, we, we already discussed an old person dying last week. But indeed, the the blanket coverage that this got on Friday. Oh my goodness! The four BBC channels were essentially all taken off air, replaced with rolling coverage uh, of yeah. uh, the prince's death, and this then led to over one hundred thousand complaints being made to the BBC about the states of the coverage. Yep. So, uh, James, this uh, funeral on Saturday, I suspect, is going to get an equal amount Possibly. of uh, wall-to-wall coverage. What did you? What was your take on it all? It's a charade. Nobody, nobody actually cares as much as they're pretending to do. All the people that are gathering 
to have a mass mourning about some dude that doesn't mean anything to them. They're either actively pretending to care more than they do, or they have been manipulated by the media and such to care more than they, they really do or should. Um, the biggest take for me is that if this has all happened because El Prinzo died, I've got a real big fear for what happens when the queen the queen drops. Like, are we going to have to mourn for like two weeks or something? Are we going to all have to actively mourn to just pass the, whatever patriot patriot check is going to be in place? Like, can, can I share some information at this point? Please do. Uh, one of our mutual friends, Jimbo, works at the BBC in a yes. very senior position in data and website stuff. He's very clever. Yes. And uh, I asked him about this. He said, Prince Philip's death is classified as a band two. Right. And if you thought that was bad, the Queen yes. and Prince Charlie are band one. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's my only thought. I would say as you're, you're spot on. It's it's going to be a lot. And it's all, it's all fake. These people don't actually matter and they expect to get all of this reverence and all of this celebration and mourning but then they also expect completely private lives as well and they expect to have the public not interested in their expenditures and not interested in okay. uh, their money and their lands and that that clash is really disturbing because they're expecting all of this all of the positives, and they're expecting to be shielded from the, all the negatives that the rest of us actually have to go through. If anybody else becomes like a, a somewhat in the spotlight, there is no system in place to protect them from it. Um, and again, like well, like we said last week, if the queen if the queen dies and she gets more and more than the the six figures of people that have died due to a pandemic, that she will. Yeah, and she will when it happens. I'm going to feel salty about it. That's disgusting. Okay, well, talking off disgusting, the health secretary, Matt Hancock, turns out, owns shares in a company which was approved as a supplier for NHS trusts in England. Wow. Wow. And who else owns the shares? Oh, his sister. His sister. So this is, once again, the health secretary, Hat Mancock. Turns out he uh, yeah owns 15% of Topwood Limited. His sister is, I want to say, the director of the company. Yeah, she's in, she's the she's one of the bosses. He did not mention this, that uh, she had been involved in this firm since 2002, which uh, won a £300,000 uh, contract from NHS Wales this year. Now, before we talk about the... And other contracts. And other. Yeah, that was one of the highlights. Yeah. And he was awarded his shares, I believe, for free in 2019 and only declared them... <sighs> last month. This company which specialises in shredding and scanning documents. Mm-hmm. Who is paying a company right. £300,000 to shred stuff? I would do that for free. It's fun. <laughs> I think it's the scanning part that might be important too. They're probably getting paid to do so in a secure way if it's an NHS thing. The uh, well, In a supposedly secure way, most of these companies don't actually have any form of security that is beyond what we can achieve ourselves but okay okay it's how they Let, present themselves let's talk about the fact then that the health secretary and his sister yes or have stakes in this trust which then actually was winning public contracts which again i am completely unsurprised about at this point it is and i i, I think this is kind of what the tory the current tory leaders are going for it's just like maximum scandal, maximum corruption, maximum everything so that the nation is just too exhausted by it all and too distracted by it all to to actually ask for them to stop, right? And it's working. They keep getting they, they keep more and more keeps being discovered about how they're awarding 
themselves and their friends' contracts. But no, it's not a surprise that if Matt Hancock's neighbor can get a, a, a government contract, so can his family. Like, oh, wow, I am shocked. Okay, the, the, the final COVID-related story is one further afield. It's the Tokyo Olympics. There was a survey this week, James, that found four out of five Japanese citizens would like the game scrapped because of the massive spikes they're seeing in the cities of Osaka and Tokyo. Mm-hmm. But we're, we're seeing the likes of Australia this week who are prioritising their athletes for vaccinations. Oh. Uh, we've had a, a number of com- uh, countries pull out. I believe uh, North Korea said they're not going to take part, which uh, South Korea are actually quite disappointed at because they did their their joint team uh, at the Winter Olympics if you remember that oh yeah and uh, this week we've had a couple of uh, Scottish swimmers qualify for the Olympics but it is looking I would say unlikely that for the first time since World War II the games are actually going to happen what do you think I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's cancelled. One of the things I know about the vaccine rollout specifically in Japan is that when they were making all their agreements and deals, uh, they kind of signed all the contracts on a best efforts basis, wherein all of the suppliers are to give Japan the vaccines if they are able to. Right. Which means that if other countries signed a bit more of a selfish agreement the number of vaccines that go to Japan is significantly lower. And that's a bit that's, uh, that's a bit of an oversight on their part to try and be generous with the companies. And it means that their vaccination rate has, all, has obviously been significantly lower than you might hope for in a country that is uh, investing heavily in getting a whole bunch of athletes and especially tourists over to, to see a big thing. And it would be a massive risk for them to host the Olympics in the, in the state that the world is in. So it wouldn't surprise me if the whole thing's scrapped or if it's very much reduced in scope. Right. Well, they're not even accepting international visitors exactly. slash fans anymore. So, you know, let alone fans maybe at all. So as much as, you know, they have spent an inordinate amount of money on these this these games on as games. always happens far too much than the city slash country could actually afford but that is the the way that yeah. these massive events go in japan's case they probably can afford it more than other places have right but it's also the principle like i know this is a big deal but is this really the yeah. best time or the right circumstances in which to hold the games. And I know this idea is, you know, we've always held them, no matter what. Even, you know, okay, world wars happened and we called it off then, but we, we soldier on. Yeah. But actually, I believe, and this survey actually shows this, people would rather it was just canned. Yeah. There's a big social difference between Japan and a lot of other countries in that area and the West, whereas I think I think if it was the UK that was having the Olympics delayed and then maybe cancelled, people would be up in arms about it because we don't have the per- same perception of how to tackle these viruses that ha- as has been really hammered home by several several like huge viruses in in those in in Japan and surrounding countries mainly. Um, so they've got a more realistic view of like, hey, it's too much, just don't do it. Big risk. We, I know we invested, but big risk, don't do it. And if four or five people in the country are happy to close it down, I think that's all the approval that uh, any regulatory bodies or government would need to say that, yeah, we can we can get away with uh, precaution in this instance. They're not going to have to sacrifice their political careers to do so. 
Right, James, let's uh, talk movies and entertainment stuff before we dive back into the actual news. We've mm-hmm. got actually three trailers. We've, we've gone almost a full, a full year without wow. uh, <laughs> an episode with more than a trailer, but this here we point. are. The, the movie industry has clearly been awoken from its slumber by Godzilla versus Kong. <laughs> so we've got three trailers, but we also have what we've been watching. And we have a listener review, which I am delighted with. All right. So, James, would you like to share? Have you been watching? Have you finished anything this week? I finished two anime. Hey, okay. Well, I've, two. I watched a movie and also a, a two-night wrestling show. So... I'm actually going to go for our listener review first. Okay. Because it's, it is also the movie I watched. So, yeah. this comes in from Kenneth. He watched Pam Springs. Right. Which is the, I want to say, an indie darling. Did very well in some independent uh, festivals. Was uh, snapped up by Amazon Prime on the back of it. I believe it was South oh. by Southwest. It did very well. Sundance did very well as well. It is a, I want to say, a sci-fi rom-com it's not quite a rom-com but it's sci-fi certainly it's, it's um it's tropical groundhog day indeed it's groundhog day with some sci-fi stuff thrown in right and here is kenneth's review hello colin and james seesaw parade um kenny here with what might be my first and only review of all time for this this program um mostly because i don't really like tv or films <laughs> Um, so I don't tend to watch a lot of them unless it's, you know, classics like Ace Ventura, The uh-huh. Mask, yeah. etc. Uh-huh. So, in a new one for me, I sat down with my lovely wife and um, watched the new Andy Samberg and is it Christina Milotti film, Pam Springs on Amazon Prime. So my first thoughts on seeing this was it was going to be like a ground, you know Bill Murray Groundhog Day type type film, and essentially that's what it is. Mm-hmm. It took me a while to not see Andy Samberg as um, being just Andy Samberg from The Lonely Island, yes, or um, Jake Peralta from Brooklyn Nine Nine, yes. Um, but it took a, a bit to get past that. But he is a much less animated version of those characters, I would say. Christina Milotti, again, uh, recognised her from, was it How I Met Your Mother, I think? I'm sure she's in other things. But the premise of the film, without giving too much away, because I know people still want to see it, you know, it is is a Groundhog Day type film. Um, It's a comedy. There are parts that made me laugh hysterically, but there's a lot of... uh, It goes a lot deeper than that. I think it resonated particularly given the current Groundhog Day we're experiencing with lockdowns on and off for the last, um, what, I think we're about three or four years now? Yeah, five or Feels six like probably. Anyway, um, it was a very enjoyable film. It's probably uh, my favourite film I've seen this year. Hey. Highly recommended. All right. I'm trying not to say too much more because I don't want to give away what happens, but uh, for me, that this is like a, I don't know, four, four and a half out of five. Ooh. I don't know, what's that, nine out of ten? Um, film. So if uh, people want a bit of an easy watch, uh, that'll make you laugh. Um, might resonate a bit given the current situation. I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I, I can watch it. So there we go. That was Kenneth's review of Pam Springs, which is on Amazon Prime. It was also something easy, that easy. Yeah, yeah. It was also something I watched this week. And uh, just to add to that, it is a breezy ninety minutes. So it is uh, something you can 
breeze through. And let me add to that. I really enjoyed this. Right. And it is that easy mix of... It's funny, and some of it is genuinely very funny. Uh-huh. But it does have it does have a more serious side to it as well, which which I really enjoyed. It's like it's like Groundhog Day, Groundhog Day in that aspect as well. It's serious. Yeah, and it's also helped by the fact that J.K. Simmons, who is best known as uh, Jonah J. Jameson from the original <laughs> Spider-Man films, J. Jonah Jameson. There's a lot of J's in there, and also the Oscar-winning performance in Whiplash. He is also in Palm Springs, and he brings some gravitas to the movie. Really enjoyable. Right. The only thing I would say is that Andy Samberg is one of these guys who is just himself to in everything degrees. I ever see him. Yeah, yeah. He, he is. He's not, and, and, and like that's not a bad thing because he's no, very likable. That's what he gets paid to do. <laughs> Indeed, and he's very good at being himself. All right. So, I was okay with the fact that I was watching Andy Samberg in a movie mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because he's fun and you, and you like spending time with him. Yeah. And the character he's playing is essentially a, a more chilled out version of his Lonely Island slash Saturday Night Live persona. Right. So, and this the whole movie is actually produced by The Lonely Island. Yes. To me, it was a reflection of the fact that as artists... They have matured. I believe all of them are in their early forties at this point. Yeah, and this and this is a a much more mature comedy than, for example, Hot Rod, which they made fifty I, years ago. But that, yeah, that, no, that is a special film, though. No, 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 no. This this is the important part. Hot Rod is a fun film, but it's like a young there's, film. There's there is zero depth. <laughs> exactly. It's just. Here's a stupid guy doing silly stunts that he can't do, and here's all his silly friends, and look, you'll have a great time. And you largely do. Yeah. Whereas with this, there's much more that goes into it. Uh Uh-huh. Certainly I felt anyway. So highly recommended. If you are looking for something bright and breezy, which will give you a laugh, highly recommend Palm Springs. All right. Based on those two reviews, this is an easy watch for me. I I appreciate both, both reviews very much. Hey. Okay, we'll look forward to hearing your third review I'll in be, uh, the next yeah, couple of weeks. I'll just give a thumbs up or thumbs down, I guess. Right, before I hit my WrestleMania review, James, I want to hear one of your animes. Go. All right, let me tell you, I finished one of my animes a couple of weeks ago, but I thought right. it was just an, a wee hiatus, but it was actually the end of the season. Um, okay. <laughs> and it was great. I watched Cells at Work, the second season off it. There was also a spin-off season that I finished called Cold Black, where everything's a, a little bit darker and a little bit worse. Um, oh. not worse as in, as in like worse in quality worse as in like worse for the characters they're going through more uh, more awful things anyway cells at work it's uh, mostly light hearted um, show about the cells in your body but personified and doing their jobs and you learn about the cells in your body but personified and doing their jobs and what they do and how they interact with each other and they go about with their different personalities mostly killing germs and dealing with situations of pathogens and stuff like that Um. And I've reviewed season one. I'm pretty sure I said I loved it. Season two, I also loved it. We were focusing on one of my favorite characters in the show, the white blood cell, um, and his interactions with all sorts of different things. And this is one of those times where season two just does a big copy paste of the overall feel, the overall scope and scale, but it added a little extra philosophy. Okay. The season one had a little bit of that. There was some art in it. There was some meaning behind things and there was some feeling where you weren't expecting it season two just like turned up that dial a touch kept me interested uh kept me invested and was overall 
a solid follow-up. Oh, and the uh, the intro and the outro songs are wonderful. Is the show? Are you? How would you summarize your feelings towards the end of the season? Is it something you would you would welcome to watch more of? Yeah, I would. I would. I would welcome more. I was expecting more. It was only eight episodes, which which I was expecting. 10, 12, 13 episodes. There was only eight. It looked like there was a little bit of a baton pass with a final oh, scene okay. where it was going to be like, and here's the baton pass to the final arc. And I was like, what are they going to do to one-up the, the arc we just had? Because the, 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 the thing that actually did end the show was a pretty big and significant story um, that, that had all of the aforementioned like depth and meaning and emotion. Okay. Um, and I was like, what are they going to do with this final few episodes? And then it was, oh no, it's actually the final, the end of the season. I want more now. But I'm okay with that. It's a fine feeling. And if the show actually ended here, I'd also be okay with it. I, it feels fulfilled. Okay, we'll hear your second right. anime show in just a second. But here is a, a truncated review of the six-hour, two-night extravaganza that was WrestleMania. Yeah, you know, I was I was going to try and do some research and come at you with a, a legit WrestleMania review, but <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> yeah, no, save your time. So just for, for those of you who are hearing or who know what WrestleMania is but perhaps know very little of it, here's my summary. It is the biggest show of the year in the world of professional wrestling, yes. which you may better know as fake fighting. Yeah, or, which actually might be more popular than fascism. I would say so. But I don't know the numbers. I don't know. I would hope so, but I don't know the numbers. It's scripted fighting is the better way I would, I would put it. To add the context here, though, this was the first show... That WWE, the biggest wrestling company in the world, have done uh-huh. with real fans yeah. in over a year. First one, everything else has just been with virtual fans. And seeing the really visceral reactions of these superstars as they're about to get started, and they're actually surrounded by, you know, 15,000 people in a 90,000 seater stadium. Mm-hmm. Some of them were actually openly weeping oh. as they were about to start. Bianca Belair, who was uh, headlining night one, was, you know, just the, the, the bell hadn't even rung, and she was just sobbing. Because of the uh, the moment, which Just was really the crowd back, yeah. genuine, really lovely to see. But my main t- takeaway from this whole show is, my goodness, it would have been and should have been oh. the easiest show to book, as it were, right. in the world. Because you had a bunch of popular baby faces, people who we love to cheer. Right. And in the very first show... First show back, first match back, Uh our super popular former WWE champion, Scottish superstar Drew McIntyre is up against Bobby Lashley, who is a former legitimate Bellator mixed martial arts fighter. Right. And Drew has been essentially the face of the company for the last year. Uh And this was his big fight. Okay. He's going to win back the title that was stolen from him. Oh, and what do they do? They went and beat him in 12 minutes. Oh. And the crowd just died. Oh, no. Because cause you've been like, right, we've been waiting for a full year and our man loses. Yeah, yeah. But they wanted to make the wait even longer. I don't know what they're doing. But it just, to me, it was like, this is the easiest stuff in the world. Yeah, I think for the grand return, you've got to just, you just got to do the do the easy script. You don't have to surprise anyone. <laughs> exactly. And if, like, if you don't want to give this guy the win, then at least find a match on the card where the good guy wins and that's where you start. You don't start your biggest show of the year with right. the hero losing. St- 
immediate disappointment. It's just that is so basic to me. Anyway, that was one of the the low lights. A couple of highlights. Right, right, right. The main event of the first night was uh, was featuring two black women, which is the first time that's ever happened in the history of Excellent. this event. So well done, and they put on a great match. Well done. Then. And my other thought was, my goodness, I'll keep this short. The opening of the second night of WrestleMania okay. was a fight between Randy Orton. I know that name. And a character called The Fiend, who was last seen being burned alive oh. on a show at the end of last year. Okay. Did they address that? Or was it just like a somehow nope. the fiend is back? <laughs> he's, he's just resurrected himself. Right. And uh, yeah, again, they opened this show with this. You know, they had red lighting and the fiend is, a, is accompanied by a grown woman who's pretending to be 11 years old. Right. And the, the finish of the match, the big finale, uh-huh. was that the fiend character got distracted by his, his little pal Alexa because she had goo. She was wearing like a like a crown of thorns. She had goo, and uh, there was black goo oozing from said crown. Was it supposed to be blood, or was it no. actually supposed to be goo? It was just goo. She just had goo in her face, and he turned around. And he was like, "Whoa, she had goo on her face!" This is a legitimate sentence that we are repeating. Gen- she had goo on her face. <laughs> she did, and this distracted the fiend. And the fiend was so distracted, previously known for catching on fire, who was previously burned to a crisp. He was turned around. And he was so distracted. That he lost. That he lost. How did he lose? Did he get hit with a chair? The classic? No, no. The, no, the, the guy just did a, he did a wrestling move to him. He did a wrestling what move. What was the wrestling move? Uh, the, uh, an RKO. An RKO. I know that name. Right. He did the RKO and he lost because he got distracted by his... The goo. <laughs> he got distracted by goo. And again, <laughs> this was the opening match. Did they then set him on fire at least? No. He just left. They should have set him. They should have done an RKO and then like set him on fire. But all I was left at the end of that show was, why do I watch this? This is beyond <laughs> stupid. How did they convey that it was the goo that was distracting him? <laughs> they, they turned a giant spotlight on her and said, "Oh look, she, she's she's got goo on her face." <laughs> so the commentators are like, "She's got goo on her face," and then, "Oh man, look, the goo's distracted the fiend." Uh, essentially, yeah. Uh, and the, the 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 basically they turned all the lights out, and then they all the fans were booing and booing and booing, and then the lights came back on, and all of them were gone. They just vanished. All the fans? No, the the performers. Oh, that would have been cool. <laughs> and, and then the, just the crowd booed some more. And again, I thought you've decided to open the show with that. <laughs> After a year without fans, and you do that, maybe right? No, maybe they had like some sort of deal with some kindergarten, and then they allowed the toddlers to write the opening matches for both the opening nights. Right? Oh, you would have hey, thought so. You would have thought so. Children, but was I glad I watched it? Yeah. Was it nice to see fans back? Yes, it was. It was great to actually see people in a live attendance. Of a of a thing. I know we've all learned. We've all learned. We've all learned how to escape a fight. We gotta distract people with goo. Distract them with goo. Okay, right, James. Uh, yep. Very quickly, what was your second anime show? I watched Laid Back Camp season two. You know, that's one. That's a show whose season one I reviewed more recently. You did. It was just after season one finished. Well, I finished season one. That season two started coming out, and I felt blessed it was genuinely a very exciting moment for me to realize that i immediately had more of this show okay because it is the comfiest happiest 
brain chemicals releasing show I I can possibly imagine. <laughs> Genuinely, after watching episodes of this show, I have a sore face because I've just been smiling so much. It is so nice. Aww. And maybe that doesn't work for everybody. Maybe not everybody's in for just a nice time when they're watching a show. But my goodness, I am. And I and I'm sad at this time that I don't get to follow it up with season three. Um, which I'm sure is inevitable. And just to remind everybody, this is a show about a group of high school-aged girls camping and learning how to camp, but specifically in the winter. It sounds so underwhelming and mind-numbing. Specifically in the winter. They're going camping in the cold, (laughs) which just increases the level of coziness because everyone's wrapped up more and there's fires and they're eating amazing-sounding and looking food, right? It's really hard to explain why this show is so good. But it is so good. And I am looking forward to season three already. And again, the intro and outro songs, top quality. Okay, well, that is... Uh, Feel free to ask any questions. I'm going to leave it there, actually. Glorious. I, I've had all, all the questions I could possibly want answered. Answered. So, uh, I, like, camping in the winter. It, it genuinely is... It, it melts my mind how, how good... How, how much I enjoy this, this show. Right. If you've got anything, you have finished. A movie, a TV show, a book... A, a nice meal you can review it and send it to us cseoperate at gmail.com please James do. before we get to these three trailers let me talk about the fact that Phoebe Waller-Bridge oh, yeah. uh, best known from uh, Fleabag the show that she wrote and starred in has been cast as the lead mm-hmm. opposite Harrison Ford in Indiana Jones 5 thoughts on this yes hopefully not love interest lead oh i certainly hope not i doubt it though i doubt but it. we don't know i doubt it it's probably like distant distant relative or something daughter daughter maybe secret daughter okay right anyway. huge news for her and I, I i i was again once again surprised when i was reminded that this film is in production and is going to exist uh, <laughs> and harrison's in it um um and mads mickelson is gonna be Indeed. in it as well like this it could be good <laughs> but then the last one wasn't okay <laughs> so let's talk uh, let's talk trailers starting with fast and furious 9 f9 can't believe it here we are the nine okay this is a, a trailer for the movie which comes out this summer it was delayed if they don't call the next one fast 10 year seat belts that would be right i i'm i am they they have to it's so bad that would be the tagline they, they have to okay here's the trailer Little brother, you always say never turn your back on family, but you turned your back on me. Now your little family is in my world. Are you ready? Whatever's on you, is you ready? It's on us. Are you ready? He's got his own private army. We need help. No way. So how do y'all want to play this? Fast. James, I'm going to ask for your thoughts first because (laughs) I did something whilst watching this trailer that I almost never do. And that was to stop Uh and rewind to make sure that what I had just seen 
was actually what I had seen. All right, I wonder what part that is. No, um. So let me. Uh, I'll share that in just a second. What do you think of this? You know, I, I'm on board once again. Uh, I, I've been won over by what they're doing because what they're doing is just <sighs> making a Bollywood film, but without the dancing and songs. Explain. And I think that Bollywood films are improved by their dancing and songs, but I don't think this film would be improved by dancing and songs. <laughs> I think they're just embracing the ridiculousness, right? To a a a degree that I respect almost at this point. Each each film is subsequently more stupid and less grounded with somehow extra spectacle. I believe they're going to space in this one, which I don't know what they're going to do for the next one because space always feels like the 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 peak time travel. of these of this kind of film. Maybe time travel. Maybe it's a cheeky little bit of time travel. But it's just I am just I'm just on board. This is going to be a winner, much like. Uh, King Kong being this the the best protagonist of the year so far. This film is gonna is gonna make piles of money, and I might not watch it with a critical mind and enjoy it. But if I can find a little bit of time with some good snacks and a nice drink to just be blown away by stupidity for a while, this will be beautiful. Okay, just like the previous ones all have been. They're they're ideal to just laugh at and also be like impressed by what they're doing. I would say. And you've you've tempered my response somewhat because you're realistic, and I found myself reluctantly agreeing. I would say up to about <laughs> Fast Seven, okay, that they were they were actually genuinely trying to go for broke and say, right, right, what can we do to make this bigger and better? Right, because Fast Five is genuinely a very good heist movie. Yeah, yeah. They were still keeping it somewhat grounded in that era, just a wee bit grounded. They had their toe. Just touching the grass. Okay. Well, talking of toes, when it got to the point, I want to say it was Fast 7, might have been Fast 8, when The Rock kicked away a torpedo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the point where I thought, no, this this series, this franchise has jumped the shark. Yeah, but they embraced, In fact, no. they embraced the shark. They didn't jump, they embraced it. It was long before that. It was when cars were crashing from the Burj Khalifa into a similarly sized skyscraper. Yeah. That was when they jumped the shark. Yeah. But at that point, I genuinely believe that they were saying, okay, we've, we've got to do this bigger and better. But now, having seen this trailer and specifically the quotes they included, <laughs> where Tyrese Gibson lists off all the mental They're, things they've yeah, done, including yeah. blowing up submarines... You realise, okay... Yeah, well, they don't, they don't want to think... Cause they don't even think about the submarine, though. <laughs> now we've gone meta. Now we're we're getting to a franchise which is self-aware that the things it's yeah, doing self-aware is ridiculous. I don't know. Genuinely, yeah. I don't think they have. I think they've known all along that they're making something, re- like, ultimately stupid. When it comes to the trailer, it completely failed the Seesaw Parade trailer test in that... It did. We have seen the film. We have now seen the film because I know what happens. Mm-hmm. You've shown it to me. Vin Diesel doesn't say the word family once, but he has family in the film. Okay, no, there's several mentions of family. Yeah, but I don't think Vin said any of them. Correct. That is that is true. So the Fast and Furious trailer test, did Vin Diesel say family? No, he didn't. Uh-huh. Well done. Gold star. Gold star. But also, <laughs> surprises and things you could and should have saved for the movie are in the trailer. Why? Yeah, I, we all knew that they were bringing... Hand back, but he's not even a major character. Again. He didn't get set on fire. Well, he was loved though for his appearances in the first couple of films, then his his untimely demise in Tokyo Drift, <laughs> which was then like I guess retconned now, or I guess we're gonna find out how he lived, or maybe he just like he's back somehow, right? Um, and we know that 
whatever the lead character, Sean, I believe, from Tokyo Drift is in this he, film. We, all, in we, know, we knew those things were happening. I, I, I do wish they weren't in the trailer at all, though. Okay. It would be nice to save it. The moment I had to stop and rewind and watch again right. was in the trailer when Han is in a truck uh-huh. and he picks up a magnet and the magnet attaches itself to a bad guy Yes, who gets dragged with the rear door off the truck into space. Yeah, there's a parachute somewhere. He's somehow got a parachute on him. The parachute deploys, and then he blows up. I don't know why, but yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's a perfectly logical set of events that Han was definitely always capable of doing, and somehow, like, he's always been an uh, incredible assassin, not just a driver. This is this is canon. And suddenly, we have gone from a franchise which was about can our cars drive faster than our, the other cars? While in... also stealing DVD players from a truck. Uh, absolutely. And steal some DVD players as we do this one kilometer drag race to now a, a series where middle of the road characters are now sniping people from rooftops. Yeah, legit assassins. It's 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 un- unbelievable. But this is what people want. This is what the fans want. You can tell that whoever is in charge of the decision making in the film oh. knows what the actual fans of this franchise are wanting. They wanted handback, they're getting handback. They wanted more action, they're getting more action. Okay. I guess they wanted more magnets because they're getting more magnets, but they're pretending that they're doing magnets now like they hadn't done them before, but I'm pretty sure they've had magnets in the films before. Right. And uh, my final point is I completely agree. This film, pandemic or otherwise, is going to make a yes. ton of money. And hey, if 10% of that profit goes towards making indie films, hey, worth it. Okay, right. couple more trailers because time is already gone. Uh, let's talk about Army of the Dead, Zack Snyder's <laughs> yes. new movie. Here's a trailer. You ready to play? There's $200 million in the vault beneath this trip. With a 32-hour window to get it out. Find the safe. This should be a simple in and out. It's not too late to go back. What the? Now, James, in this running order, you say casting change. Before we talk about the trailer, what do you mean? Yeah. The previous trailer, I think, that came out featured one of the cast members in this film who has been digitally replaced by someone new whose name I've forgotten. Interesting. Um, but much it's just a it's just it's just a um, a Zack Snyder special. It's just CGIing this and whatever needs CGI, just CGI it, fix it in post. So um, <laughs> does does uh, Superman not need a mustache? Let's CGI the mustache out. Take I think it's I think it's Take Nataro. Um, is is okay. All of the scenes that you see them in are a digital replacement of uh, Christy Alia. Interesting. Who used to be in the film. Um, so, yeah. And this trailer is, I guess, the first look at them in the film and also the second look at the film in general, which I'm even more convinced I'm going to enjoy seeing. Okay. To me, this was the first time I've actually I heard of the film, but I'd never seen anything of it. Oh, all right. And, and whilst... The trailer does also fail the test because I know what's going to happen yep. in this movie. It's also called Army of the Dead, which is a slight giveaway. The whole, the whole, just the the, fran- the, the franchise is a giveaway. The, this is uh, coming on Netflix, I should say, in the next uh, few weeks. Dave Bautista, mm-hmm. best known from Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, in the lead role. And best known for like actually being able to act nowadays. Yeah, he's a good actor. This, I love it. I mean, it looks fun. 
it does exactly what it says on the tin. It's just yep. a bunch of mercenaries against lots of zombies, and one by one, they will all die. And that's the end. Yeah, even though they're all friends, it seems, I guess that's going to be the heartbreaking thing, is if they legitimately spend the first 30 minutes making these people feel like actual characters who have actual connections and investment. I am going to be a bit upset when they all die. And they all do, of course, have their unique features and things that make them stand out. Um, And they will all get picked off and they will survive. Three of them will survive. And then um, one one of the survivors will reveal that they've been bitten. And then that's how the franchise will continue is that the, they're going to be the cause of the next film, wherever, whatever the next infection is. Because in this film, only, only the strip is infected. It's only, it's only the casinos. The world seems to be getting on. Okay. Indeed. Okay. One more trailer. It's, the Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is starring... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Samuel L. Jackson and mm-hmm. Ryan Reynolds. Almost said Gosling. That's the right Ryan. Well done. Okay, here we go. I'm officially on sabbatical, and to be honest, I don't know why I didn't do this sooner. This is the world's been waiting for me to make this change. For the first time, I'm starting to imagine a life without bodyguarding. This really feels like a new I want to I know you? The mafia took my husband. Kill them. We have to go get him. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not getting involved in this. I'm under strict psychological orders. Morgan Freeman's also in this film, apparently. Is he? Yeah. He's on the his name's on the poster. Okay. My question is. Why does this film exist? Because <laughs> the last one was a roaring success. <laughs> it was dire, but enjoyable for all the wrong reasons. And people loved that it was just goofy. Well, this is an example of a film which was neither an absolute box office <laughs> smash, nor a critically <laughs> yeah. acclaimed movie. Nope. It was neither. And so they've decided, you know what? Make another one. Up the jokes. Make Ryan Reynolds more like Ryan Reynolds. Yep. And get Samuel L. Jackson to just insult him a lot, Mm -hmm. ergo sequel. Absolutely. Totally unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. The first film, I don't know how I said unnecessary there, (laughs) it is completely unnecessary. The first film was equally unnecessary though, and it was successful enough to warrant continuing it on. And I'm sure the third one will be about the the hitman's wife's bodyguard's dog. Um... (laughs) Or something. And it'll be great as well because it's yet again another film that is just easy to write, easy to make, um, and then easy to market. People will see it. People will love it um, because you don't need a brain to enjoy the films like this. You can can just keep on making movies in this franchise by adding on further people. So it'll become the hitman's wife's bodyguard stepson-in-law. You actually don't need any more people. I think with three characters' names, you can can have endless, not quite endless, but actually literally endless uh, options because we could have the hitman's wife's hitman's bodyguard. Oh, yeah. Or the hitman's bodyguard's wife's hitman. Or the bodyguard's husband. Well, I don't think we need the husbands. I don't don't think we need them. 
Um, but maybe that'll be for the reboot when they do the gender flip reboot. Of course. In ten years' time, we'll get the we'll get the husband, we'll get the hitman, and the bodyguard will be will be women, and then we'll get the the, hus- the husband. Okay. Um, in in the second film in the in the reboots. People clamoring for that. Well, one final piece of news before we move on, and it's the sad news that the actress Helen McCrory, who is best known for her roles in Peaky Blinders and three of the Harry Potter films, has died of cancer. That is just been tweeted by Damien Lewis, who is her husband, uh, who's uh, tweeted today, uh, which is Friday afternoon, oh. uh, heartbroken to announce that after a heroic battle with cancer, uh, Helen has died peacefully at home. Yeah. Which is really sad because Helen McCrory in Peaky Blinders is one of my favourite characters in that show and she is a phenomenal actress. Yeah, she carried that role. I mean, they kept asking her to do the same story arc over and over again, but she, she did it well Indeed. every time she was asked. Uh, and no, she was. She's. Uh, she's. Uh, she is phenomenal. And I had. I had no idea that she was fighting cancer. So this is. This is shocking. James, we got a handful of stories to wrap up the show with. I'm going to start with light, and uh, work our way down heavier topics. So let's talk about Colin yes, the Caterpillar. Yes, so when you feel when you, when you start feeling nervous, tune out. Okay, so let's talk about Colin the Caterpillar because he's going to war with Cuthbert <laughs> the Caterpillar. The Caterpillar Wars. <laughs> so on Thursday, Marks and Spencer said it's begun legal action against Aldi to protect Colin. Uh, from the discount grocer's rival chocolate sponge roll, Cuthbert. It's claiming that the similarities between the two means that consumers think that they're off the same standard. Which that they means, are the same quality. Exactly. Cuthbert costs a fiver. Colin is seven quid. Wow. And it's saying that Aldi is riding the coattails of their company's <laughs> reputation for high quality food. Yep. You know what? They're 100% right. <laughs> okay, well, just to add some facts here, Colin the Caterpillar made his debut in the UK in 1990 and has Isn't been sold. Recent? It feels it feels more grounded into the foundation of his country than that. I mean, he's older than I am, but... Uh, this is 15, true, but you, and you are a part of the foundation of the UK. 15 million Collins have been sold. <laughs> and, and like Rihanna, he's become known to fans just by his name. He's just, yeah, he's yeah. just known as Colin. Yeah, it must be a bit sad for legitimate Collins out there when people are more excited about the cake calling at a party. <laughs> Here, here's the thing: I don't think Colin the caterpillar cakes are that good. They're not. They're pretty. They're pretty underwhelming. Yeah, I always because I was like, "Whoa, yeah, look, we got Colin a Colin cake. How amazing!" And I thought, "Oh, that's so nice of you." And then I tried it and thought, "This is it's, not it's, that good." It's definitely a cake worth somewhere in the region of five to seven pounds in modern money. <laughs> Um, and like that's fine. Sometimes, sometimes that's as much money as you can spend on a cake, and you'll get what it's worth, and that's okay. great. Like I can enjoy a cheap cake when I'm when I'm told to. Um, I'll join cheap anything when I am told to, indeed. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but I think they are going to win this because it does feel like one of those knockoffs that is just a little bit too close in appearance and yeah, packaging yeah. and general layout to the original. To get away with it, so I think I think I think they're onto something here with this uh, this this battle, this war. I mean, Cuthbert the caterpillar. It's not even remotely subtle. You could have gone for they did make it Stephen the snake, or you know, yeah, yeah, just redesign it a wee bit. William the worm. Yeah, yeah, William the worm. I would eat that cake. <laughs> well, his friends call him Willie. Okay, indeed, Willie the worm. 
delicious from from, from Willie the Worm, the delicious Willie, onto <laughs> delicious. That's Lidl's. That's Lidl's cake. Lidl Lidl's Willie the Worm. <laughs> This is the news that uh, officials at Downing Street have been accused of rewriting its supposedly independent report yep. into racial and ethnic disparities in the UK. That is despite appointing a so-called independent commission to conduct the investigation itself. So the Observer newspaper was told that significant sections of the report, which were published last month, uh, which were criticised by health professionals, academics, business chiefs and crime experts, were not actually written by the 12 commissioners who were appointed last year. Yes. Uh, James, this again is uh, is completely unsurprising. Turns out th- as well no. that um, the group who had put together the reports were not actually allowed to read it, mm-hmm. 258 pages, uh, and nor were they made aware of its 24 final recommendations. Ah. And uh, it's been alleged that the, uh, the final report was produced by number 10, Indeed. as opposed to the actual group they asked to do it. So they, they, they marketed it somewhat misleadingly, suggesting it was still independent, suggesting that it, there was no spin on it. Um, but what it, what it tells us is that it turns out that if you employ a group of people who are already on the record stating their, their disbelief in such things as, um, as um, s- systemic racism and and all of those things if you employ them to do your independent report it still won't quite say what you want it to and you will still have to doctor it just a little bit more i will i will also say that some of the names of those 12 we haven't seen them saying that any they haven't complained about the report the the people who who did the inquiry haven't actually complained uh, about the the resulting report yet but there are a lot of people who are referenced in the report who are a bit surprised to be there, having not been told that they were they were going to be. Um, right. So the report, not only is it missing large chunks of data and ignoring entire fields within uh, the UK system, it also wasn't good enough to pass the, the Downing Street test and has been, has been added to a little bit. Okay, so we've got a penultimate story before we go stateside. This is following on from last week. Uh, The UK government has announced a review covering its uh, former Prime Minister David Cameron's efforts to lobby ministers on behalf of a finance firm, Greensill Capital. So the former PM had been criticised for texting uh, the Finance Secretary uh, or the Treasury Secretary, Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, uh, as well as going for a drink with Hat Mancock uh, to an, in an attempt to sway these government ministers yeah. to give his firm, Greensill Capital, taxpayer loans. Yeah, official channels are overrated anyway. This clearly isn't scummy. <laughs> Indeed. So Mr. Cameron has said that he has not broken any codes of conduct or lobbying rules. <laughs> which, which just teaches me that the codes of conduct and lobbying rules might need a review. Indeed. But in a statement he put out uh, weeks after this emerged, uh, Mr. Cameron said he really should have contacted <laughs> really? ministers through formal channels. Really? Oh, wow. So... Uh, yeah, this this to me is again. I yeah. I shake my head in disappointment, but without any sort of surprise because no, I feel I feel at this point I have become a broken record in that this government is both entirely full of corruption from top to bottom, yes. but clearly has been going on for much longer than actually I was aware of. Yes, 
due to that, due to the fact that it's not just little Davy that's doing all of this, uh, that there are far more people who are still in the party that are involved, they're going to be doing their best to keep the scope of this investigation thoroughly in Davy's garden. Yeah. And they're not going to try and cross the boundaries and expand the report and actually do anything of significance. And even though they're just going to try and keep it specifically towards this one individual, when the, when the whole problem is that the whole party is uh, causing this, they're, they're probably going to try and go light on the dude because he's their pal. Okay, James, uh, let's finish up with some heavier yeah. stuff. And this is the shootings in the States. There have been, I would say, three high-profile shootings over the last week. Uh, last night we had uh, eight dead in Indianapolis at a FedEx facility where a, a gunman was alleged to have uh, shot multiple people, yeah. several st- uh, still in intensive care uh, before shooting himself. But then we also had the two uh, individual shootings. The one I, I want to start with is Adam Toledo, who is right. 13. Yeah. And the body cam footage has been released, yeah. which shows an officer shooting the 13-year-old boy dead. It's awful. Uh, I watched the video and instantly regretted it because, my goodness, it's horrendous. And also, he has his hands up. Yeah, he's as he is his being, hands up. Like he's been asked as to. As he is being shot, he is putting his hands up. Yeah, he gets asked to put his hands up. He obliges... And then the officer, who has clearly not been trained, yep. because who trains your officers in the States, uh, I guess is really scared of hands moving fast and decides there must be a weapon, tells them to drop the invisible weapon, and then goes right for the trigger. Uh, the complete lack of accountability and training in United States police forces will never cease to amaze. Yep. So this, this to me, and it's, as I say, the, the footage is horrendous because this is a 13-year-old kid who is shot, essentially assassinated by a, by a police officer. Yeah, he was suspected to have been carrying a gun, which he is suspected to have just discarded. But that makes him a 13-year-old kid who's dropped a gun. Right. That does not make him a threat. I, I, I believe the, the family put out a statement to say something essentially of the, the same ilk, which is, as, as the video shows, he is unarmed. He's unarmed. That's all that matters. Whilst he is being shot. You, you have to be able to, to process that as a law enforcement officer to see that, to see the big picture. But everybody else is the, are supposed to be able to see the big picture and the police are just like, hey, no, we don't need to see the big picture. We just react in the moment. And the other thing to, to, to notice in the video is as soon as the, the officer shoots him mm-hmm. and then runs over to him and starts saying things like, are you are you all right, bud? Yeah, it's. I'm like, are you ki- are you kidding me? You joking. just shot him, and you can tell within seconds he's gone. Yeah, and uh, it's it's awful. And it's yeah, it's, it, the whole thing is awful. And this this the 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 system over there that is bringing this kind of a level of violence um, amongst the youth and then towards the youth from the police needs massive investment and reform, the likes of which. I doubt we're going to see under um, governments who who kowtow to the capitalists and the and the big business who want to keep their taxes low, and therefore we can't afford to do anything. Just just on that point, because if let's say this similar situation happened in Scotland, now far from holding up the police in Scotland as the beacon of how things should be done, if because of the the laws and procedures we have in place here, 
if someone has a weapon in their hands, be it a knife or, or any of these sort of things, the amount of times that police have shot people in this country in the, the last year is a, a minuscule amount. It's maybe one or two. Yeah. And we've, we, you know, I remember covering stories where Scottish police were having to show American officers, here's how you deal with someone who has a weapon. Yeah, no, yeah, we've been, we've, we, our police forces get paid to do training seminars for, for the more forward-thinking police forces in the States. So my question is, how can you go from exiting your vehicle to 19 seconds later, shooting a child dead who yeah. does not have anything in his hands, when clearly... Yeah. There is a way to do this which does not involve firearms. It is because the police in America and some in the UK are basically a military force. Their training is very military. It's very right. Um, very much uh, whoever you're, whoever's in front of you is a target, and you got to deal with them, and they're a, they're a threat. Whereas um, police forces that are more that are able to deal with things more peacefully. Are see citizens instead of like insurgents or instead of terrorists or instead of a threat. They see citizens, maybe okay. people who are in distress, um, and it's the militarization of the American police force that will will always cause these kinds of problems. Where they've got they've got access to military grade weapons, military grade vehicles, military training, and all of these things that are not ever going to be appropriate. Um, like SWAT teams only exist um, because because of this basic uh it's the SWAT teams only exist because of this they're they're, they're basically a paramilitary force and it's disgusting and we're seeing pushes for similar things in the UK all the time we have been for decades um but we i have i have no interest in militarized police i have no interest in police with overwhelming firepower uh, it is always going to end up causing more harm than it does good okay well also this week we had uh, another shooting which was initially dominating the headlines it was 20 year old Dante Wright who was in Brooklyn Centre in Minnesota and uh, body cam footage again was released it showed uh, Dante being arrested he then breaks free breaks free yeah. uh, jump, jumps back into his car mm-hmm. and the officer who shouts the word maybe three or four times taser 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 yeah shoots him fires a single shot and uh, he crashed a few streets later and died. Yeah, because it wasn't a taser. Indeed. Uh, the body cam footage showed to me uh, uh, an instant realisation from the officer that oh, I've actually, I've just shot him. I've, I've shot him. Hey, I've, I've majorly messed up, yeah. So the officer has, has resigned, the chief of police in the city has resigned, and we've had a protest now in the city of Brooklyn Centre and an, an overnight curfew introduced as well. Yeah. Uh, James, this was, uh, again, similarly tragic, uh, and particularly because I genuinely do believe that the officer's horror at having yeah, the mistake was real. shot him was, was, was real. Yeah, the mistake was real in this instance, but it brings, to, brings the same questions to the table of, like, uh, what's your training? What's your system? Yep. What on earth kind of a system says that when somebody's trying to drive a car away from you and isn't a threat in that moment, you tase them? Let's take the gun out of the picture here. Was this would have this been an appropriate use for a taser? No, I don't see that. Tasers, in as far as I'm aware, are supposed to be designed to stop a threat from approaching you, to, from coming towards you, or from harming somebody else. Yeah. Uh, I think tasing somebody while they're just kicking off a car, that's only going to cause extra danger. 
The fact that she mistook a gun for a taser just shows that there is a sincere lack of a, a training. That should be a zero percent chance mistake in any decent um, force. Um, and it's just the same questions again. If the systems are clearly being designed that, to be overly aggressive and act right now instead of trying to calm things down, and that's never going to work. One final question: We had President Biden ten days ago or so uh, saying that the 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 amounts of firearm and gun violence in the states were essentially a, an epidemic and were mm-hmm. an embarrassment to the country. Yeah. This is simply adding more fuel to the fire. Do you believe anything will change? Uh, I, I would just, all I can do is hope so. I, I don't think Biden has the platform to do much about guns and to do much about the uh, impairment of the police or trying to, trying to reduce it because so much of the, the identity of the states is in guns and is in like back in the blue and all of this stuff. And yeah, yeah. Uh, it is so cultish that uh, doing so could cause massive riots and that's too big of a risk. So why would Biden do it? Um, but for me, it's just like, you have to. And maybe what we need is is not at federal level, maybe at state level, city level, you know, but there needs to be action um, from anyone to try and tackle the the, the sheer amount of aggression on on the side of the law and on the sides of those who are trying to live a life out with the law, right? There there has to be more movement rather than just continuously buying more weapons and trying to outshoot everybody. Indeed. Okay, James, on that note, it's time to end the show. If you have any thoughts on what we've discussed today, you can get in touch. Let us know what you think. Seesawparade at gmail.com or Twitter at Seesawparade. James, it's been a bumper episode once again. Thank you for your time. Yeah, we're doing these. Wow, we are indeed. We better, we better start talking about less stuff or or do a spin-off for some of it. <laughs> World needs to slow down. Okay, James, thank you very much. We'll <laughs> see you next week. All right. Bye-bye. But not goodbye to you, man, Hancock. <laughs> no. No, I hope you are constantly awake and aware of your, your sins.